Hi, and welcome to JFC. If this is your first time here, we want to say welcome and thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. Before we get into the teaching, we want to tell you a little bit about who we are. Jubilee Fellowship Church is one church meeting in four different locations across the Denver area. And our mission statement is simple, plant churches and make disciples. Here's a quick look at a few things happening here at the church. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Here at JFC, we believe that water baptism is a very important step for us as believers. We want to encourage you to take this next step in publicly professing your faith. If you're interested or have any questions about water baptism, visit the Connect Grow Serve table before or after service. This weekend, our lead pastor, John Leach, will be teaching part two of our new series, Selfie. Throughout this series, we've asked you to submit a selfie of you at your campus. The selfie of the week goes to the gold digger. Hope you find what you're looking for, man. If you'd like a chance to have your picture featured in the weekend news, take a selfie and email it to selfie at jfc.org. If you have any questions about anything that you've seen or heard today, you can always stop by the Connect Grow Serve table, find someone wearing a How Can I Help badge, or visit us online at jfc.org. There you can sign up for our email newsletter and stay up to date with all the events that are happening here at the church. That's all the news we have for you this weekend. Thanks so much for joining us. Ta-da! Hey, good to see you. Glad that you're here. Uh, on your way in, you're handed the notes. If you want to go ahead and grab those while you do that, let me welcome all of our campuses, not uh, only Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch and Castle Rock and Lakewood, uh, folks that are live streaming us right now and those that uh, we consider post-production uh, church. And those are people that may hear this in the next couple of weeks. They may not live here in Colorado or maybe they're traveling or whatever the case would be. We want to welcome them and thank them also for being a part of the service this weekend. So we're in a series called Selfies and we're just using the idea uh, of the word self and, uh, and talking about that in this series right here. And I put in your notes uh, as a sentence and we'll sort of review this uh, as a reminder of what we're trying to do. In one sentence, the whole thing is about moving from self-centered living to God-centered lives. The truth of the matter is when we say that right there, there's not an assumption here that most of the people in this room are selfish people. It's the assumption that if we're believers, we uh, always are in a progression of learning how to become more like Christ. We never arrive. Do you agree with that statement? And so it's not uh, a negative like, hey, we don't think this is happening. It is the assumption that all of us want it to happen, so we're in process of that happening. So we're talking about how to see that happen uh, in life. If you look at your notes real quick, at the transition point, I called uh, the message this weekend uh, self-sufficient, self-sufficient. So we're going to talk about that for a moment. Uh, let me say this first. When you use the term self-sufficient, that's not a negative. Being a self-sufficient person is a good thing. If you're raising children, if you've raised your children, how important is it that they're self-sufficient? Now, who's saying amen to that? People that finally have some money back in their life, and they don't want to lose it anymore. That's what it's really all, all coming down. You know, um, there's a movie out called Failure to Launch, and it's about um, um, really uh, a, a set of parents that raised a child that has it better at home 
and uh, never actually got going. So it's sort of a parody of that and funny of that. But in a way, um, what we're all aiming for in all of our lives is to be self-sufficient people. We want to be able to take care of things. And when you, when you look at even leadership qualities, one of the things that we require of people, the ability to lead yourself before you can lead others. So being a self-sufficient person, don't, please don't misunderstand me. It, it's biblical. It's right on. But there's a fault that can come with that, and it's relying too much on ourselves and not learning how to trust God. And that's where we're going to go with this uh, when we look at this. So uh, let, let's just jump in here. Uh, let me give you um, the other side of self-sufficiency, and I'm going to talk about community this weekend. So I just put down God's thoughts about community. And I don't know if you've ever considered this. I don't know if this is an important issue to you. I know that uh, here at our church, we want to do better at this. Uh, you know, the church going into the 16th year, there are things that I feel like we've done really well, and there are things that I feel like we haven't done so well. And, and I used this as an example several months ago, but uh, the professor in his classroom that takes the glass jars and uh, with an incoming uh, group of freshman students puts the big rocks in first to the very top of the jar and asks them if it's filled. They say yes, and then he puts the pebbles in, and that filters around the big rocks. Is it filled now? Yes. And then he takes sand, and it's smaller molecules, so it fits around the pebbles. Is it filled? Yes. And then he takes water. One more time, he's able to get more and more in the jar. And then he asks them, what's the meaning here? They tell him, no matter what you put in, you've always got room for more. And he said, no, that's, that's, that's America in, in the 21st century. But that's not the idea here. The idea here is that if you don't get the big things in first, it's difficult to put them in later. And I think that so many times in life we get stuck then. We get to later points in our life, later points in our family, later points in our, our walk with God, and we think to ourselves, man, I really wish I would have been better at this, or I really wish I would have done it. But here's the truth. As long as you're drawing breath, it's never too late with God. The, serving God, the gospel doesn't change our past. It can alter the future. So the opportunity to always work on the things that we want to see happen. All right, so as pastor, I, I think to myself, we've done some things really good. There's some things we haven't done so good. But at, at 16 years, is it too late to add those things? And the Lord just really gave me a picture of my mind. Take the jar, dump it upside down, dump it out, and put the things in that you want. Admit that you haven't done good at these things, that you want to do better, and get them in there. Community in this church is critical. Folks, look at me real quick. This is not an age issue. This is not a married, not married issue, male or female issue, uh, campus issue. I go to Lakewood, so we don't need that. Everybody needs connection. Let me say it this way. This is what I felt like the Lord told me this week. Community in a church is not about salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation. Your salvation is based on the work of Jesus. You get that? But it does have everything to do with your life. And while you could die and go to heaven without community, you're not having the life God wants for you without it. And it's not enough to just go, well, I want community. We have to be on purpose about community. We have to want those things. We have to understand why we need those things. So let me, let me I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, literally. So let's jump in here and we'll do this. Let me, let me give you God's thoughts about community. Uh, number one, let me just quickly talk to you about solitary existence isn't healthy. These are God's thoughts. Solitary existence isn't healthy. When God creates... Uh, all of, of everything that we enjoy. The, the book of Genesis goes through the account of how he created it and what he created, the order that he created. After every act of creation, God had one sentence. You remember what it was? It is good. It is good. There was only one time in all of creation that God said, this isn't good. Can you remember? Anybody remember? What was it? So, so Adam ends up by himself, and, and this is God's words. God's words, not, not Adam's words, not someone else's words. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, I, I want to ask this question. I've got a really smart 
teaching team that surrounds me. And these guys, uh, these girls, they, they are people that I can sit down with and I can just say, I don't understand this or help me. What, what do you know about this? So I just asked this, like, what do you think Adam did that made God go, this isn't good? Did he freak out one day? What did he do? I mean, did he, did he sort of start just talking, well, I, I got nobody. <laughs> the lion has somebody. And the dog has somebody, but I don't have anybody. What did, what did Adam do that God goes, this is not, I just, there's no message here. There's, don't look for a deeper truth in this. That, you know, if your bucket can't make it to the well, it's just a shallow well. Don't worry about it. I just, I'm like, I don't know why God would, look, God knows everything, right? And he knew when he created Adam, he, he knew, but why, so why does God then later put it in there? I don't think God put it in there. Anytime God asks a question or makes a statement, it's not for his sake. It's for our sake. So the recognition automatically, it's just simply not good for a person to be alone. Now, I'm watching TV this week, and there happens to be a, a special on PBS. Yes, that's how boring I am. That talks about the punishment of solitary confinement. And it mentioned this, that in our, our prison system today, uh, so, so if, if you, um, they'll either do it for your own safety, the safety of other prisoners, or if you just simply are, are a danger uh, all around, they, they will lock a person in solitary confinement. And here's what they're finding is that after even a four-month time period of solitary confinement, the mental breakdown, that they can't rehabilitate people, which is what prison is supposed to be ultimately, no, never mind. They can't, they can't get the rehabilitation to happen in a person once they're broken down mentally. And they're finding that solitary confinement is one of the worst things, one of the worst punishments. Yes, does it teach them a lesson? Yes, but it also breaks them down emotionally, and not everybody can come back from that. So just the thought here, when God says it's not good for man to be alone, uh, there's probably a multitude of reasons here. Even in our society today, uh, what we can see is that it's simply, it's a torture uh, when it comes to isolation. It actually, it's such a negative thing. Now, let me go at it this way. Thieves love to isolate people in order to pick them off. All right, so now the devil is called, one of the words is, he's a thief. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. All right, so we're in uh, South America, in Peru. And uh, down there with, with some of our pastors, and we, we've got some folks uh, that, that are down there with us, and we're, there, there's a, um, a ministry there that we're very connected to. Um, God's doing some really cool things with, with some orphans there, and, and um, it's neat to go down there. And I've got, uh, if I can get some of the pastors out of here from time to time just to do ministry outside of the four walls here, it's good. It's just good. It just opens up your heart and opens up your mind, and it's just good. So we're down there, and we're walking, and uh, Pastor DJ, um, you know, it, some places you just should not pull out your iPhone 6. <laughs> just unwritten rule. You just shouldn't pull that iPhone 6 out. And DJ uh, pulls his out, and some people spot him with it. And it, look, here in America, they're wanted, but in, in third world countries, you're talking about a luxury item that people would go far out of their way to get their hands on. So they target DJ. And, and what happens is a woman walks up and acts like she sneezes on him, but she squirts water on him. Uh, so DJ thinks, why would this woman sneeze? So he turns around and stops. They isolate him immediately. And two or three people converge on him while the group moves on, and we don't know what's happening. And while they've got him there, they just begin simply to so overwhelm him 
this, this is just how they work, that ultimately what happens is they were able to get the iPhone away from him. They stole his iPhone. Thieves love to isolate a person because it's in isolation that they can work the best. In a group, it's a much harder issue. When we're in Israel, there are just certain places where we know pickpockets are. And one of the things I will tell the group, close in together, walk together right now. Because if you can stay as a group, pickpockets will leave you alone. But if they can isolate you, they can work on you. As a thief in our lives, the devil loves you in the position of isolation. Because if you're isolated, he can pick you apart. He can lie to you. He can, he can harass you. He can steal from you. He can inflict pain on you. And no one is there to tell you any different. That's the problem with it. We all think we're strong enough just to simply battle, battle, battle. And God, I'm going to say this again. This is not a matter of your salvation, but it's a matter of your life. It's a matter of your life. God wants you connected, man. It is absolutely critical. It's important. Now, I just put this as a thought. Because when I say solitary existence uh, isn't healthy, um, let me just recognize the difference in two people any given time that are at our church. It's made up of very extroverted people who when I say you need to be connected, they're like, amen. This is my message. And then there are introverted people that sit in this room and are like, dear God, I've got to go home and hide now and find a way out. And here, let me just make this statement very quickly. Neither personality is right or wrong. Both are just the way God created you. And if you're extroverted, it's easier to connect. But if you're introverted, here's just the difference. When you're extroverted, a connection is easy because you get energy from the connection. And if you're introverted, and let me just say something very quickly. Your pastor is an introvert. People do not know this. They assume that my personality right now is how I am one-on-one. This is a gift God gives me to teach, but when I'm one-on-one, I'm an introverted person, and I draw strength from solitude. So that connection, as wonderful as it is, as life-giving as it is, as healthy as it is, I've got to go and be by myself to actually regenerate energy. So that if you're an introvert, listen to me, you're not doing anything wrong, it's right, it's okay, but you still have to have connection in your life. You can't use it as an excuse to go hide and extroverts. Quit overwhelming us. Okay, now, now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me throw this out. Deuteronomy 32.30. Look at this scripture real quick. Okay, uh, really, really, just look at it in the nature uh, that... That it's given here. One can chase a thousand, and two can put ten thousand to flight. One can chase a thousand, two can put ten thousand. I'm actually ahead of myself. That's two are better than one. Sorry, guys, I, I got ahead of myself. Uh, let me let me go to number two. Two are better than one. Uh, Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one there to help them up. So this weekend, I get a chance to go up and speak to our high schoolers. And they're having a retreat this weekend, just high school. Uh, they got 150 kids that are up uh, in Estes Park this weekend. And, and, and Chris and I, uh, we went up this weekend. We spent some time there. Uh, it did convince me of two things. Uh, and this is the truth of the matter. Uh, the first one is, my time as a youth pastor has come and gone. It is <laughs> gone. That, that level uh, is, is just simply not there anymore. But here then was the most important thing. What I felt like and what I, what I think was important, my reason for going, we have uh, an issue in, in the body of Christ today 
that it, it, it's a true statistic. Uh, there is a remarkable number of young people, once they graduate high school, hit that 18, 19-year-old, that when, when, they, when they graduate high school, they go to college, we are losing an incredible amount of young people from the body of Christ today. It running, listen to this, statistically, more than 50% of them leave church and never come back. Now, now, there's a little bit of a problem with that in that any, anything that you quote as like a, a sociological issue, you've got to measure over a long period of time. And this is a rather new phenomenon that they're measuring right now over the last five years or 10 years. And so it's not a long enough period to say, you know, do they end up coming back to the church on their own? We, so, so it's a little bit of a, of a of, you know, I'm, I'm jumping to a collusion. But nonetheless, we do have this issue that when they graduate, they hit that 18, 19 years old, they graduate, head off to college, they're, they're, they don't have any. And I'm asking the question, what's going on with that? And I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons, but let me give you what I think is going on. My generation was the first generation really that began to create churches inside of churches where we hired not pastors who were sort of everything to everybody, but we began to hire specialists who could do one thing for a group of people. And I don't think this is wrong. So my first position in ministry, I was hired as a youth, a specialist. I dealt with young people. That's what I did. That's what my job consisted of. Take them from junior high through high school, spend time with this age group, pastor them, uh, uh, mentor them, raise them up. All right, so you do that, you get very close to people. Listen to this right here. But once they turn 18, it's almost as what you're saying to them is, we, we've, okay, you've got to move on now. You've graduated. Yes, we were close. Yes, we were connected. But now there's a new group of people coming in. You've got to make this step, and they don't have the connection to another pastor. And it's at a vulnerable time in their life when the world begins to, yeah, come then with me. I will give you identity, and I will give you purpose, and I will make you feel like you belong. Think about this for a moment. So my purpose in this weekend, to go and talk to your teenager. If you've got one up there, this is what I said. Well, I tried to fit my message into the theme of their retreat. What I said to them, I stood in front of them, and I said, listen, I am not okay with this. I don't want you to graduate next year and disappear. We need you. And we need to do a better job of figuring out how to connect you. But these are not your only pastors. I am your pastor and I will be your pastor for life. You can call and you can count on and you can know that it's an entire church that needs you. Yeah. How do we integrate that? And how do we, so maybe you sit there and I, I, I don't really, well, it's not your job so much, but it's mine. And I'm worried about that. And I would say to you, losing a generation of people simply because we don't connect them. Let me give you an example that maybe you can relate to. When a pastor leaves a church and a new pastor comes in, if you've ever gone through that at any level in your life, this is true. Many people are so connected to the person that was there that they can't connect to the new ones. There. So they leave to go find a new place to belong. That should not happen. Amen. That should not be named among us. And I know you're thinking, well, why are you so passionate about this? Because we can solve it by connecting with each other. Just we got to connect, folks. It's not a matter of salvation, but it is a matter of life. Life. And it matters. Two are better than one because at some point in life, we all feel like we don't fit and we don't belong. We stumble and we fall. And here's the point. If you fall by yourself, no one is there to hit, get you back up. But if you've got connection, someone is there to lift you back to your feet. You ever struggle? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever said to yourself, I just need to go someplace else? That doesn't need to happen. It doesn't have to be that way.
Look, let me say the same thing to you that I said to the teenagers this morning. You matter. We want you here. You're important to me. Every one of you matter to me. You're not a number. You're not a name. You're not a faceless person that shows up to church. We need you. And we want to connect with you. But in a church this large, how does one guy do that with everybody? It can't be done. It has to be done. We have to desire to connect with each other. Yes? No? Agree? Disagree? As God tells us, it's not good for us to be isolated and alone. Two are better than one. They get a better reward for what they're doing. And pity the one who falls. And no one's there to help them up. By the way, that scripture in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one, every time that's used, listen to this, we use it in weddings. But go back and read the context. The context is not a marriage, it's a friendship. We quote it in weddings. Two are better than one. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. God wants to be the third strand in your marriage. It's a perfect wedding analogy. But in context, it's talking about relationships with people. Friendship. Two are better than one. Let me give you the third thing real quick that I think are God's thoughts about community. Most people never realize the power of unity. We don't understand the value of it. We don't understand the blessing or the benefit of it. So therefore, it's not that important. It's sort of like, well, maybe I will or maybe I won't or I'm really busy or I just, I don't know. I, I don't like doing things like that. And we don't understand the blessing and the benefit of it. So let me, let me just do this. Psalms 133, verse 1 and 3. This is one of the most wonderful scriptures that you can find. So this, this, this is what it says. Behold, how good and pleasant it is For brothers to dwell together in unity. Verse 3. For in unity. Look at this. In that place, the Lord commands the blessing. And then he gives us what the blessing is in this particular case. The blessing from God in unity is life forevermore. Look at me one more time. This is not a matter of your salvation, but it is a matter of life. So I'll ask you this question. How many of you would like to experience the life of God? How many of you think that's an important... How many of you go to church? This is rhetorical, by the way. Don't do this right now. How many of us go to church and listen to messages time after time and sing songs, but we don't feel the life of God? We leave wondering, where's the life? Where is it for me? What if I said to you, it's not going to be necessarily in me teaching a message or in how great a song is? Or what style of music? What if I said to you that the life you're going to find in church is going to be in connection with each other? Because here we have a scripture that says, behold how good and pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity. And it's in unity that the Lord commands his blessing. It's not an option. He commands it. That when we're in unity with each other, he commands life to be in that place right there. This is why a marriage can be so awesome. Notice I said can be. (laughs) Not always, but if you get the unity part of it, There's nothing on earth like it, is there? How about this? Two people who don't have unity, there's nothing on earth like it. (laughs) True? This is why disunity in a church, this this is never an option. Folks, look at me. This is never an option. Disunity in a church can kill a church. Because you can get together and you can talk everything that you want to talk about. If we don't get this right, we don't get what it's supposed to be about. 
good. Yep. And it's not an age thing, by the way, because I see a lot of young people, even like in this service, you might think, hey, is he talking to adults? No. Connect, man. You've got to connect. I'll talk about how to do that, by the way, when we get to the end here. Let, let me just give you a quick illustration with this scripture. Here's what I know to be true with our staff. When our staff is in unity, and right now I would say that, oh, <laughs> that what a compliment I'm about to pay to my pastors. The greatest time of unity since I've been pastor, I've had good times, but the greatest time of unity I've ever felt as a pastor is right now. Right now. Bravo to every one of my pastors. Bravo. So let me, let me yeah, it, it's, a, it's an awesome thing. So what does it do? What does it do then in our church? The way, if you enjoy any life of God, if there's anything in this church that's a benefit to you, if there's anything where you're just like, I hear God or I feel God or I sense God, let me say it clearly. It comes from the unity of leadership. And when the unity of leadership is missing, it's difficult for the people to ever hear things from God. So goes leaders. So goes the church. Unity is never an option. Connection is never like maybe. This is what God calls us to. Let me quickly, we don't realize the power of unity. Let me flip this coin. Genesis chapter 11 is an interesting story about the Tower of Babel. Here's what the Bible says, that at one point on the earth when it was young, after creation, man on the earth, after creation, that before he spread all over the globe, they spoke one language. And mankind had already fallen from God. They began, they were very, the Bible says that their thought and inclination was set on wickedness. And it actually says God got actually regretted that he made man. Those are sad words right there. And then, and then it records this, that uh, man just gets together and they decide that they're just basically going to, um, they're going to shove it in God's face. So they're going to build a tower that stretches to heaven. Now, of course, we, it's impossible. They're not going to get to heaven. And, and even if they could do that, God's not sitting up there like, if you can just get high enough, you'll find God. That's, that's not the issue. But God, the Bible says it this way, that in the scripture, God comes down to check out what they're doing. And this is what God records. Look at this, look at this right here. In in context, it's really interesting. So, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, look at this quote, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, folks, look at this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Here's the point with this right here. I want you to pay attention to this. God himself makes this confession. If they're together in unity, nothing is impossible for them. That means a nation could be turned around if the people were in unity. And perhaps the thing we hurt the most for today in our country is unity. Agree? Disagree? And if we can't achieve it at this level in here, how can we ever achieve it there? Now what I like also about the scripture that I think is really interesting, look at this. So God confuses their language, and what I would draw from that simply is this. When people can't understand each other, it's very difficult to have unity. Mm -hmm. Agree? 
so that the one common language we all have to speak right now, we should agree we have got to be in community. with. If we understand that and speak that and hold on to that, we can do anything. We can win. We don't have to lose anybody. Anybody that stumbles and falls and it happens in life, we can actually be a place where people can be restored and healed and recover and discover the promises of God. It could really happen. Happen. If we just talk the same language. If we wanted the same thing. If we agreed about this. It's a universal law. You don't have to be a believer. You can be a non-believer. It's a universe. It's like gravity. You could say, I don't believe in gravity, but you're not freed from it. Go test my theory. I don't believe in it. Find out. There's certain things that you're just simply attached to whether you believe in them or not. And this is one of those things. Believer, non-believer, I get it, I don't get it. If you have unity in your life, even if you're not a believer, the blessing of God is in that place. And as a believer, when you have unity, the blessing of God is in that place. Let let me, let me, I'll do this then. My conclusion this weekend would simply be that if I could convince you of anything or if I could get you to agree with me on anything, it would be the idea that church needs to be a community. Acts chapter 4 is a neat uh, story about the first century church. Now, let me, let me make the, the statement here. I don't think that God's intention is that all believers live in this total like, well, let's sell everything and just live together. I don't think that's what God's calling us to. But there's a power in this scripture that I want you to to see. Look at this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I want you to see this sentence. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Just stop there. Don't, go, don't even go to the rest part of that scripture. Let me just comment on this. God's grace worked so powerfully among them that there was no needy person among them. Now, in context, this is talking about financial need. But let me expand this. How wonderful would it be if we all walked in the place that God's grace was so abundant among us that no one here suffered mental anxiety? How awesome would it be that no one here suffered a marriage breakdown? And if they did, everyone around them was able to put hands in the deal and say, we're not going to let this thing go. We care and it matters. How good would it be that no kid could just suddenly disappear off the face of the earth and no one knew or cared about it, but the church knew someone's missing from our ranks. Let's work God's grace in this situation. Guys, and I know we said, oh, that, was, that was the first century. They also saw many miracles. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? I mean, is it just so high-sounding that we just, ah, it can never be that way? I think it could. Maybe not perfection, but what if we set out to say, 
that our job was to work on unity, and if we did that, God's grace would work so powerfully among them that it could be said there was not one who had a need amongst them. God. Do you want a picture of what it's supposed to look like? What if it looked like that? We couldn't build buildings big enough if it was like that. I want you to think about it. We, we couldn't accommodate what it would be like if it were like that. Our time would be spent trying to figure out how do we just handle all of the people that want to be part of that. Hmm. I would say this to you, include my message this way. We always look for the way to connect, respond. So look at me real quick and let me make, let me make this perfectly clear. I don't want you to go take communion because you can go do that by yourself. And I don't want you to go to the cross and write anything. And I don't want you to go pray a prayer. And I don't want you to sit there and sing a song. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to figure out ways to get in community inside of this church. If you actually receive this message, it's not to be done right now. It's to be done once you leave this building. You need to become part of a small group. You need to find a ministry. You want friends? The Bible says, be friendly. If we could just agree on that. If you knew the amount of letters that I get weekly where someone goes, I came in there and nobody talked to me. I want to ask, did you talk to anybody? Did you stand there hoping I can write a letter because nobody talked to me? Or did you think, I'm going to go find a friend? Because there's a difference in those things. And then I would say the other side of it would be just simply this. When you walk in here and we even say, find someone you don't know. If we can't do that simple thing. That simple thing. We're missing. Where do we start at? Community. Community, community, community. I know some of you are hearing option. It's really not optional. It's really not optional. I can't force it. I can't mandate it. But I'm telling you, scripturally speaking, it's not optional. If you're open to this, if you're open to this, will you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about it? Will you do that? Just, you know, I'm not asking you to do anything other than will you be open to God? If God wants this for you, will you say yes to him? Seven of us. Hallelujah. There's one group right there. Let me try one more time. Are you open to God about this in your life? Okay, Father, in the name of Jesus, on the confession that was made by everybody who hear this message, and every person who calls upon the name of Christ, and every person who confesses that Jesus is Lord, what they're actually saying is, He's the Lord of my life, and I want to do what He wants me to do. It's not simply a belief system. I believe God existed, I believe he had a son, and I believe that he loved me and died for me. It's an acknowledgement that my knee is bowed to him as Lord of my life, so that when he calls me to something, my answer should always be yes. Absolutely yes. What would the Lord have you do with this message? Is there a way for you to get into community? Is there something that you might be missing in life? Is there a place in the blessing and the Holy Spirit that you are living with less than what God wants for you? Are you praying over and over, God, 
I want to experience the miraculous and I want to experience the life of God. And I, are you one of those people who always claims that the first century church, why don't we have it today? How about they had the secret of in unity? The grace of God worked powerfully amongst them. The grace of God is the miraculous. It is healings and it is miracles. And it's also every need being met. It's also people who are deeply and passionately committed to Christ and to each other. And somehow our faith has become about about the singular issue of he's my personal savior. Yes, he is and he did die just for you, but he died not only for your salvation, but so that his church can demonstrate to the world what love is supposed to look like. What love is supposed to look like. Father, show us and help us. Give us courage and show us ways Let us find opportunity to connect. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hey, in just a moment, I'm going to take up the offering. Before I do that, there's something that we've worked on for the past few weeks, and I want you to watch this. Check it out. Chris and I want to thank you for uh, agreeing to do this. I know that um, it was a little bit nondescript, and that was because we wanted your actual emotions in this, and we wanted you to be able to hear what was uh, what, what was about to take place. So let me just quickly tell you. Uh, for lack of a better term, we're going to refer to you as stakeholders, and you represent literally hundreds, if not thousands, of people who um, support the ministries of JFC, not only with their finances, but with their time and their prayer and their energy and their effort. And so literally, you're a pinpoint for for hundreds of people who are going to see this, who we want to tell uh, the story of the impact that they're having. So we asked uh, for you to come and to represent our church and to just listen to the difference and to the impact that your giving is having in the lives of people. So I want you just to sit back, receive, and enjoy uh, the difference that you're making in people's lives. We were youth pastors here at JFC, um, and uh, we decided to move to Las Vegas to start a church. For about two years we struggled, and uh, Trying to get the church off the ground wasn't easy. And I began to see our home life deteriorate uh, to the place where I didn't even know who I was anymore. I thought I was doing God's work and it just seemed like I was doing uh, doing my own thing. Um, didn't feel right about it. I resigned and I began to just completely lose it and uh, left my family and, and uh, found myself really alone in Las Vegas and uh, not a good place to be alone. And I remember so many nights, the shame and the guilt overtaking me, not feeling like I'd ever be someone again. And I remember calling a pastor and just saying, hey, I, I need a, a church that I can go to that doesn't have a list of what I need to do, but just can be a covering to me. At that point, Gina and I had actually um, gotten a divorce and uh, and um, I felt really alone and I knew that that's what not what God had for me 
I moved out here and convinced Gina to move out here and it was you guys, your faithfulness, that allowed us to see it, our marriage restored. Um, it was a long time coming. We both were not wanting to get back into ministry. We both thought, you know, those days were behind us. And because of you, God proved to us that our best days are in front of us. We both grew up in the church and we grew up loving God and we gave our lives to Jesus at a really young age. Um, and we met in college and got married, and two months after we got married, um, Brian was diagnosed with stage four cancer, which also left us unable to have kids naturally on our own. God was really faithful to provide healing for him um, and give us, um, we went through IVF and we had these amazing miracle twins that, that we never thought we could have, and um, shortly after that, I um, just had this feeling that there was someone missing from our family that we were supposed to have another baby. God had given me a dream of a little boy that was supposed to be ours, and we had no option to try IVF again and um, no way to get pregnant on our own, and we're just left feeling very confused. Like, God, how are you giving us this dream if there's no way for it to be possible? And so um, we had started attending JFC, and um, for the first time of our whole lives growing up, learning about God and loving Jesus, um, started hearing about the Holy Spirit and that God is a healer and that He wants to heal. And we came back on a Friday from vacation, and before we could get to church on Sunday, I was holding a positive pregnancy test to me. I just was overwhelmed by. We didn't even have to go to the service. God healed him, and God gave us this amazing baby um, that we wanted so badly. And it was because of what you guys are doing, that you're giving to JFC, giving to the vision here, that God is so many things and so much bigger than we have made him to be. And so we just want to thank you for your faithfulness for people like us because I don't think we would have ever taken that step of faith to trust that God was bigger and we would have never had the chance to welcome our amazing baby into our family. Hey, I, <laughs> uh, my family um, got involved here and uh, I was sort of always the prodigal son um, and so I wasn't involved here. I had this dream when I came back to God that I could go serve around the world with a couple buddies, but I got so much um, judgment from people that uh, knew me and knew about my life when I came um, to you and you supported me and you sent me, um, not because of what I had done in my life, but because God was calling me. And so I was given the opportunity to go to nine different countries and share Jesus through my own brokenness. I saw other broken people come to know him through my testimony as someone who wasn't qualified um, but was sent, I saw people um, meet Jesus and saw healing. And uh, I want to thank you personally for sending me and believing in me when nobody else would. I also want to be a voice for people like this. Um, these guys have gotten to hear the gospel um, through people that you sent, um, through broken people like me. These people have been prayed for, have been given food, have been given protection, have been given the ability to live a life that they didn't have through your support and your generosity. The fact that the Lord assembled this group of people 
built this body, funded the body, your generosity, the church's generosity, making these tools available, making this information available, I started listening to the podcasts. And I felt like I was beginning to hear the Lord. My prayer was, I want to hear you for myself, not because somebody else tells me something. I would be on my knees crying. I just couldn't believe how God was talking to me. And you feel and you know the worship and you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you say, this is really different. This is different than any other place I've been in, any other group of believers. Through your support, through your love for this church, um, my life is fully turned around and I am fully restored. So thank you so much for your love and your support. Personally, thank you for sending me and on behalf of people and nations all over the world, I want to thank you um, for giving them life. Pastor John talks about legacies being changed. And um, through you guys, through JFC, mine, my family, years to come has been changed. And it's because of the Lord moving in your heart specifically and in the hearts of the people here to support and give and make this possible. We're products of that. So thank you. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and, and just serving our church and doing what God's told you to do. In 2011, we remarried. I just remember seeing my three girls, Faith, Grace, and Joy, there. And as I was thinking of this, speaking to you now, I wanted to say, because of you, their lives have been changed. The generations of my family, every day I wake up and tell them, hey guys, you know that mom and dad are proof that God can restore anything. Church, over the past several weeks, we've been talking about generosity, impact, and vision. And this really is the weekend where I try to make that all come together so that you can hear just some of the stories that are going on. Your generosity gives this church the opportunity to have great impact, and I hope now it gives you vision to understand how necessary, how important, how life-giving it is when you listen to God and you're a part of the vision through your giving and through your prayers and through your efforts. Thank you for all that you've done to change lives. So my hope is that probably like, yeah, you can clap. I think it's awesome. Yeah. My hope is when you hear that, that like the folks in the video that represent the people of our church, I'm sure many of you probably have never, um, never connected all the different ways that a church has impact in people's lives. And your faithfulness, man, your giving and your prayers, your involvement, your energy, it makes such an eternal difference. And there's nothing in particular that I'm asking for. I'm just trying to connect you to the point. Generosity is where a church is allowed to have impact. And when you can see the impact, I don't think there's any other way to view it except to have vision of what can happen in a world that so desperately needs vision. 
so desperately needs it. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for your generosity. Let's just pray over this offering. Lord, we ask you to bless this like you do every week. We ask, Father God, that you would draw us all in together to do what you want us to do. Thank you, God, for providing for us. Thank you, Lord, for making a way possible. God, we give it back to you right now in honor of you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On your way out, all of our offering boxes are at the exits and at the foyers. I love you. Go home. Have a great weekend. And then get involved in a group. God bless. All right.